Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Book Goodies, the podcast by authors for authors. I'm one of your hosts, Deborah Carney, and I'm joined today by Karen Garcia. How are you doing, Deborah? Good. And today we are joined by author Paul Reinig. Hi, Paul. How are you? I'm doing awesome. Hello, Deborah, and hello, Karen. Hello. We are, uh, we're both folks that love uh, reading and writing, and Karen's working on her first, uh, her first novel, so we're giving her tips and advice along the way and encouraging her, even on days when she has a migraine. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. Then uh, it never fails. Never fails. No writing today. So, Paul, why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners and let them know a little bit about you? Okay, well, uh, basically, I, I actually have three books. I think the topic of this podcast is going to be my memoir. Is that correct? Uh, it can be any of the three books you want, and all right. including them all. So, Awesome. Well, yeah, um, gosh, everybody has a story, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, just give us a little bit of your background so we know where you're coming okay, from. Okay, well, well, I, I, I had a lot of uh, self-esteem issues going through life, and by the time I got out of high school, I was so lost is the word that I like to use that I really didn't have a clue what I wanted to do. And this was uh, early 70s, and along came uh, the Reverend Sun Myung Moon, who was offering uh, an opportunity to save the world. Mm-hmm. And it appeared to be right up my alley at the time. Uh, what it really did was provided an umbrella of safety and, you know, security, uh, but it certainly wasn't, uh, you know, an easy course. I actually uh, worked my rear end off for several years because he was really into to, uh, total investment of yourself into uh, saving what he called the higher purpose. In other words, you... He wants you to live for the world. There's not time for yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's the energy that I allowed myself to get caught up into, or as I, I use the word, swallowed up into in my memoir. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I spent 23 years with that movement. Um, so that in of itself is a story, which is really why I wrote the memoir. Uh, I All the way along, throughout that entire experience, I was keeping journals and in 2001, I realized that I had about 45 plus journals. Nice. So I just, yeah, it was amazing. I, I, I just started going through them. It took a long time to, you know, distill it down to what I felt was really choice stuff that I had found about myself. It was very therapeutic as well. So in 07, I put out a grand and glorious adventure, The Saboteur Years, which is my memoir. It was really me looking at myself and seeing certain patterns in my writing of the way that I perceive life, the need to suffer, the need to, Moon called it pay indemnity. Uh, the Catholics would call that penance. Mm-hmm. But, but Moon's perspective on it was much more than just saying a few Hail Marys. It was uh, total sacrifice of your life. Sacrificing food, sleep, and sex, That's as, as, as he put it. Uh, in order to save uh, mankind. And he believed he was the second coming of Christ. I bought into it. So he was literally my savior. And And, at what point did you finally decide that this wasn't actually working out the way you expected it to? um, You know, it started subtly in around 89. I joined in 75. It started around 89 uh, when I began 
you know, little things started come, creeping into the mind, but I couldn't allow my mind you know, to entertain those thoughts. I just simply could not do it because, uh, like the Catholic Church that I grew up in, uh, if you are going, if you think thoughts contrary to your own belief system, uh, you're putting your spiritual life in jeopardy, or your soul, or however you know they called it. Mm-hmm. So you know, the threat of going to hell was a big one. And it took a while. Um, but you know what really turned the corner was uh, he created this uh, theological seminary, which it took him quite a few years to finally get the state of New York to cre- accredit it. Mm-hmm. But, but he, when he finally did, I decided to attend it. So in 91, I went through and got a, a graduate degree in religious education. And the, the amazing thing about that experience was is that because we were studying Christianity in depth, as we compared it to Moon's theology, which was quite extensive and systematic, I started realizing that all of these different religions have more or less been making it up as they, they go along. And, Very good uh, observation. So, yeah, yeah well, a lot of them, yeah. I, I mean, you know, it's the, based on the inspiration of whoever's receiving, you know, they're getting their particular inspiration from so-called God, or whatever they call it. But it's in the moment when they're open to it and that whoever is supposed to hear it in their, you know, community, that's the inspiration that's flowing. It's not necessarily for anybody else, but it eventually is taken like that. So that started uh, some deeper seeds. And then there was a lot of things going on in Moon's family. Uh, His oldest son was getting uh, arrested for drunk driving occasionally, uh, long about 95 six or seven his oldest son who was supposed to be the heir of the throne his wife smuggled their four kids out of the mansion and wrote a book called in the shadow of the moons and he she went on good morning america and a number of other talk shows talking about how he he would beat her and this that and the other so it wasn't pretty it really you know, it, it, it was the, probably the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak. And in 98, I just basically made a firm decision. You know what? I'm just no longer going to be a part of this movement. However, I have to say that that's when uh, a lot of in, in, incredible trepidation began because that threat of hell was still hanging around. Right. And it took really about five or six years before I felt comfortable with the decision and that I could look upon Moon and the teachings and anybody in it and not feel threatened in the least. That's interesting that that it took you so long to, do you look at it as deprogramming or just assimilating out into the world again? Um, Well, and and you have to understand too, I was really heavily into self-loathing there all of those years, as well as my growing up years. So what we're talking about here is really a willingness to begin releasing the need to uh, beat myself up, uh, which wasn't an easy thing to let go of. Well beyond moon, I realized that this is very ingrained stuff. I believe it's related to a lot of past life stuff, Mm -hmm. personally. You know, that's neither here nor there ultimately, but I feel that uh, I'm carrying a lot of things that, you know, I had to work on and get through. And that's ultimately what led me to write my second and third book. Well, and I like that you journaled the whole way through, even though you were um, constantly under the, you know, the the threat of being discovered. You know, 
did the things in your journal, like, did you ask the questions that you were starting to feel? Did you write that down in your journal, or did you just, did you kind of mask it? Um, I had one woman who journals that wrote her journal in Greek so that no one would be able to read it. Uh, it's funny you say that. Um, no, when thoughts like that came up, it, it, it was probably, um, well, when the, the entire graduating class from the seminary, which was in 93, he sent us all to Russia. He had managed to get the minister of education there to allow him to come in. I'm not sure why. They wouldn't let the Mormons or the Jehovah Witnesses in, but they let us in. Mm-hmm. So so we were able to, I was actually literally teaching large groups of teachers. They had thrown Marxism out, and the minister wanted some kind of a substitute. Moon had put together this sort of watered-down version of his principle in bringing in a bit of Buddhism and Islam and Hinduism and, and Christianity into it. But ultimately, of course, he was basically just wanting to get his foot in the door there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was teaching this watered-down stuff to these teachers through a translator. It was kind of a fun experience. I loved talking. But nevertheless, I, you know, I was in Russia, and it's not where I wanted to be. And as far as I knew, I was going to be there for life. I mean, he was basically right. just sending us to go there. So I'd always had this interest in broadcasting. And when I was a kid, it was big interest. Um, which I kind of, again, my self-esteem issues uh, would never have allowed me at 18 years old to pursue it. But in 93, I had a whole other desire. And so I literally sort of went AWOL (laughs) uh, and went back to my hometown and uh, decided to uh, get a degree in broadcast journalism. Um, And and understand... the. at this point, I'm married. Moon also matched us with uh, with people. Okay. Uh, he, everyone that that was in the church got matched by him, and then he would have these big mass weddings. Uh, the ma- mass wedding I was in was held in Madison Square Garden in 1982. There was 2,075 couples. So from I 82. That. To, yeah, well, it, that's a whole story in itself. That's you know the the memoir is a fantastic read if you want to understand the what the goings on with inside of someone who's in one of these religious cults. Okay. But not only that, but it's also my, what I had to go through in order to begin trying to relate to this woman that I didn't know and really didn't care for. (laughs) Here, this is your wife. This is your wife for the rest of your life. Yeah. Oh, hi. (laughs) Hi, and by the way, I can't stand the way you look. Stranger then? Yes. Wow. When was the first time that you met your, your future bride? Was it actually at the wedding? No, it was at the matching. It was in 1979. Okay. Wow. Uh, it was actually, he bought this uh, hotel in New York called the New Yorker Hotel. It was mm-hmm. actually actually only about a block and a half away from Madison Square Garden. Yeah, I know exactly where it is. But it just happened that that was the case. I mean, there was he was doing matchings all over the world. And later he had big weddings. Uh, after the Olympics in Seoul, he actually had a huge wedding there that was bigger than the one I was in. My goodness! Um, but you know, it was a th- we. It was what was, was called a three and a half year separation, which was required, and it just happened that between the matching and the wedding, it was nearly three and a half years. So in our case, it was kind of good in that way that once the wedding occurred, we didn't have long before we could actually get together. But when we get together, it was like opening Pandora's box all kinds of things that I didn't realize I had going on inside of me all came out. Right. 
And I basically had to go into psychotherapy for a while. Wow. Uh, it was pretty intense. I was do- going through these, uh, this anger management, pounding pillow type stuff. But, you know, it wasn't sanctioned by the church that much. It's kind of, but it was a little bit under the carpet. But it was my personal desire to try to save this marriage, since, of course, I did believe it was given to me by God through the hands of my Savior. Right. And then how did you, like, support yourself through those years? Did he give everybody an allowance, or did you do things to earn money, or, you know, how did how did that all work? I know you probably explained it all in the book, but I'm just curious so that we give the listeners enough, you know, background to, to want to go and read it. Uh, we were taught very early on to uh, fundraise, and basically we were given, I think, my first fundraising experience, if I remember right, I had a box of these hand homemade candles. Um, don't remember selling candles a whole lot. Basically, it turned out to be mostly flowers, sometimes box candies, right. okay. all kinds of stuff. Another thing, too, uh, Deborah and Karen, I, um, in 1977, in a me- meeting uh, with Moon, uh, now let me backtrack just a sec. After, when I first joined... It just happened that he had started up what he called a 120-day training in New York, mm-hmm. and and it was in upstate New York, and I was joining in Iowa, uh, and he prefaced that 120-day training with a 40-day training, and he was looking for new converts to come from wherever they were converted from to attend and go through this 40 and that 120-day training. So as it turned out, I got selected to do that. Once that was over... I was sent to Las Vegas for a while as a, as a quote pioneer missionary, mm-hmm. but there was actually some others that I could work together with there. Okay. But but then in 1977, I believe this was in June, he um, called uh, all his pioneer missionaries to New York, and he handpicked me to be what he called a state leader. Okay. So I was sent at that time to New Orleans to be the state leader of Louisiana. And from that point on, for the next eight years, I was able to be with him once a month uh, on a regular basis as one of his 50 state leaders. Nice. Or not so nice, I, depending. I, <laughs> well, the whole entire time, I never received any funding from them. So, of course, I half the, t- the month or more that I was in my state, I was fundraising not only to pay our bills, but to get back to New York to, in order to see him. So mm-hmm. it was quite a bit of fundraising that... The witnessing only was like sparse and sporadic, uh, and I was never really that successful at that, getting other members to come, which is, which is what the state leader was supposed to do. Right. <laughs> so, so oh, it was all amazing when I look back on it. I can laugh at it. but Well, and, you know, like you said, he preyed on people that had poor self-esteem or that were floundering and... Um, you know, is is the I don't even know. I know he was so big in the seventies and eighties. Is he even around anymore now? Or he, he is. He's still alive. That's all I know. He would be okay. ninety two now. Um, I haven't really paid a whole lot of attention for well since really ninety eight. Right. I have to, I have to say though, I, I think he really did believe he was the second coming of Christ. I mean, he was very charismatic, and when whenever we were in those leaders meetings, he always uh, gave us tremendous amounts of love and attention. And you know, we you could say that he was praying on us, but and 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 in in one sense you, uh, you could look at it that way, but never at any time to this day do I consider myself a victim. Okay. It was my choice all the way through, uh, and you know I allowed him to 
to, to dictate to me my lifestyle, and I agreed to it until I didn't. Right. And to me, it's kind of like the military. Like, you'll do whatever they say until suddenly you're done. <laughs> you know, you just, you just have had enough. Well, funny um, you should say that because we, we used to call ourselves the Heavenly Army. Right, and that's exactly you know what you what you pretty much were. Um, you know, anybody with a military background will tell you that. You know, I mean, you get what they give you, and you go out and do what they tell you to do, and you don't question it. And you know, they put you through educational courses or whatever so that you can learn to be better, and you get promoted through the ranks. And in your case, you didn't get compensated for being promoted through the ranks, but basically, you were in a a military-type situation where, again, you were afraid to leave for fear of punishment and for fear of, you know, going to hell, which is a very real fear for, you know, uh, anybody that believes in uh, in that type of a religion where, you know, you either go to a good place or you go to a bad place after you die. So, Indeed. I also became quite proficient in the uh, teaching of his principle because I really loved it and I mm -hmm. loved to teach uh, and so um, that was really my highest times were when I was able to teach it um, you know and then but, what what led you to decide to write the book um, well again I got out in 98 and then at that point my my ex and I we she just decided uh, you know we become what I consider to be friends and like a brother and sister mm -hmm. uh, we could laugh together at times um, but it wasn't there was it was never romantic she wanted a romantic relationship I mean she really wanted and well and so did I mm -hmm. so so when we both decided that it really wasn't working for us we just sort of gave each other the blessing we literally filed for divorce together mm -hmm. went went down uh, and you know went through the pro procedures and then she went off to uh, be with her sister for a while, and I've never talked to her since. I don't have a clue about what's going on with her. Right. Well, <laughs> you started as strangers, and you ended as friendly strangers. <laughs> pretty, pretty much. I mean, we, we did get to know each other pretty well, all, all of our you know, f insides and outs and faults and, and good qualities. But when you want to be able to uh, give your life, to, to share your life with someone on a romantic level, and it wasn't happening, then, you know, you move on. And did you uh, do that before? Did she leave the church? Did she leave the uh, movement when you left? Or yeah, okay. It was, we were we were both taking a look at what was going on within his his family, and she, I believe, if I'm remembering right, she got involved in an artist way group, and there and there was a lot of women that she was going to see in that group, and that they had a big influence on her too. So, so she's coming home saying she she wants a divorce. And I'm like, we were actually fairly codependent at that time, so it wasn't that easy. Right. Uh, we were partly were codependent because Moon was really pushing strongly for the couples to have kids, and right. we weren't we weren't able to have them for whatever reason. We even had couples once they had four, five, six kids where they were coming to us and offering us kids. Oh my but god! Then, then when they would try to get pregnant, or they would get pregnant, they'd get a, have miscarriages, and after that happened twice. My wife's like, this is totally ridiculous. I, you know, I can't take this any longer. Yeah, I'm not gonna do it again. Yeah. So, so to answer your question about why I decided to write the book, I, I, I knew in '01, I, I'd kind of been thinking about it, but in '01, I'm, I'm like looking at that box of my journals, and I'm going, you know what? There's, there's, there's got to be an amazing story there if I just am willing to go through those, 
those pages. And it just took a long time. And did, I would have, did you continue to journal after after you left the movement? I have, yeah. To this day, I've probably got upwards towards seventy <laughs> now. Wow. Yeah, and that's, I, that's I a lot of journals. <laughs> I don't do it as daily like I used to, but I think uh, these days it's it's about once a week. Mm-hmm. Is it is it kind of um, you know I've I've you know, when when your kids and especially girls you tend to have a diary it's squirreled away somewhere at least for for you know a few months to a year or whatever and looking back at that now you know my writings from when I was you know in high school or whatever it's almost as if it's a completely different person do you kind of feel that way about your own journals? Oh, absolutely. That was another lifetime as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, but but one of the things I bring out in my memoir, which is probably the reason that I subtitled it The Saboteur Years, was because I saw a pattern in the way that I perceive things in, in, the, in, within, in three separate decades. Uh, in other words, there was a certain – the self-loathing came out in my writing – but mm-hmm. but but within a within the course of a decade, it just shifted in the way it was. I was writing it, and I sort of put a, a different angle on it. And then, like about seven, eight, nine years later, here I see a whole different approach to it, and yet it's the same self-loathing. And so I'm really de- almost kind of doing a comparative in the book as well on the me in the '70s, the me in the '80s, the me in the '90s. Ah, oh, interesting. As it's it, it was it was a lot of fun to write, but I do want to uh, before we run out of time uh, at least mention briefly the other two books because the yeah. the new the newest book is actually I just published in March, uh, and it's called the True Love Handbook: How to End Suffering, Become Your Own Best Friend, and Begin Living Your Dreams. And this book is really the culmination of everything that I've learned up until now. I guess you could say it's basically my wisdom for what it's worth well, and I think it's really important to get books like that from people like you that have gone through a unique experience um, you know as much as uh, the movement had a lot of people involved there was also still all those of us looking in going why why would people do this why are they doing this to themselves why are they joining this and you know we all saw it as a cult not a religious movement we saw it as a religious cult Yes. And, you know, again, you know, we're a society of voyeurs. We want to know why other people do what they do and how they got through it. And then, you know, like I asked, how did you finally come out of it? And then it's wonderful that you had all those journals that you could go back and recreate and now talk about that. Because in addition, I look at memoirs as being a piece of history. You're telling a piece of history that other people can relate to in the future, you know, totally separate circumstances, but other people would be able to relate to it in the future because they went through the same emotional types of things that you went through. And uh, I think that you capture a slice of life that people wouldn't know about otherwise. Well, and, and, and it's a personal thing too as well, because like, I mean, I'm, I'm, I was born in the late seventies, so I, completely have no recollection of this in the news or anything like that but I do remember it being taught in my history class for like a day um, you know where where we went over you know various things you know the, the Hare Krishna movement and things like that and, and it all kind of lumped together and it was just a single passing fleeting thing and to actually have 
something that you could go back to as as a you know here is what actually happened to me that's much more poignant and much more powerful than you know a two sentence byline in a history book mm-hmm. so i think it's really important to to write things like this because there is a certain amount of of credibility that comes from somebody who was there um and and to write about it, you know, a hundred years after the fact, you know, as, as so many of our, our history books from like, you know, things about the, the 1700s or whatever are, it's very disconcerting. Um, it's so much better when it's a personal account. I completely agree. And, and, you know, in, in those day in nowadays, I, I, I also have had that experience where anyone, especially uh, born even beyond the 70s, you know, 80s or 90s. I mean, any, any concept that they have of religious cults, just, they just don't have any idea at all, which is okay. You know, it's fine. Um, but, you know, I'm a firm believer that the future is the past healed. And so to take time to go through to write, uh, one of the things I realized is, uh, which my True Love Handbook is all about, is that we all have what I call emotional aspects. Uh, emotions get triggered when we're growing up. We're not in a position to handle them because we don't really, you know, you don't, you don't particularly know what what to do if you get hurt for whatever reason, whether physically or or in or in any other way. Um, and so you, we tend to push those emotions away, um, but they don't really go away. They become what I, again, like I call them, emotional aspects. They are energy, kind of tied up into our psyche in some way and they're and they're attached to us the nature of energy is that it seeks resolution uh, really not that much different than than water if you put your hand in a calm uh, bowl of water and stir it all up then it's mm-hmm. going to swish around but eventually it's going to go back to level and that's because nature the nature of energy is that it seeks a level or a balance or in terms of emotional aspects, it seeks resolution, which in my opinion is why we get triggered at all, and in fact why things come into our life to trigger us. It really has little to anything to do with what it is triggering us, except that energy is working for us to find resolution, and so it will come around to allow those emotions to come up so that we can find a way into resolution. If you don't understand that, and especially if you think you're a victim and that that other thing is the reason that you're feeling the way you are, then there's not going to be any resolution at all. You're just going to push it away. You're probably going to magnify it. I used to do that all the time. But I now I realize, oh, no, actually, I'm responsible for all of these emotions. I don't care if it was a past life or this life. I'm responsible. Therefore, I learned to start finding compassion for the me that was hurting. I and mean, whatever the, the hurting is, whether it's a pain, emotional pain, loneliness, depression, sadness, whatever. And I had mega emotional issues, especially when I got out of the Moonies. So I would wrap my arms around myself in a big hug. Sometimes I'd be in the fetal position crying my head out. But I'd somewhere inside find compassion for the me that's going through this. And I'd start telling myself, it's going to be okay. I love you. It's going to be okay. Eventually, I created what I called four phrases that got me completely through it. Basically, very simple. The first phrase was simply saying yes or accepting, accepting whatever it is. If you're resisting energy or emotions or anything, anytime there's resistance in your life, 
it's only going to magnify it. But if you're in, let's say you're 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 embracing somebody, it's going to be hard to fight him while you're embracing them. And this likewise, <laughs> yeah. And likewise, if you're embracing your emotions, you're not resisting them and pushing them away. It allows them to come into balance in their own organic way. You can't force it. You can't control it. But you allow it, and that's what allowance or acceptance, the first phrase. Second phrase was thank you. Thank you or having appreciation and gratitude for the fact that this is allowing me to bring these emotions home, to in integrate them and to bring them into balance. Because once that energy gets freed up, what was before bottled up in uh, that, that you know, emotion, now you have that energy available for other uses. And it could be to create things that you may have never been able to create before. That's certainly been the case for me. I couldn't create anything because I was so emotionally bottled up. Third phrase is I love you, which is basically expressing, uh, uh, you know, compassion. The compassion for the me that's hurting and, as I said. And then the fourth phrase is I am that I am. And I realize it's because I just... I finally realized that I'm actually a divine being having a human experience. And so the one who's having compassion for the hurting me is the real me having compassion for a part of me that in fact is just an illusion. That I accepted as a real when I couldn't deal with those emotions and push them away, but it was just an illusion that I was hurting. I just allowed myself to buy into and identify with them. So basically, I am that I am is shifting your identification away from the illusion and onto what's real. And it's those four phrases that I speak at length in the True Love Handbook. I give uh, a lot of personal experiences long after the Moonies. I don't really speak about the Moonies much at all in that book because it's all in my memoir. So mm -hmm. it's mostly about my coming into my own after leaving that movement. And uh, so it's experiences... There's four sections, and the one section is these tools that I just spoke of. Another section is my personal experiences. The first section is actually uh, somewhat of an esoteric, my understanding of the evolution of con consciousness and what humanity has been going through uh, and what, you know, what we're facing today with the potential to literally make a whole new world if we choose. Mm -hmm. And the fourth section is just advanced stuff that uh, came to me as, as I got more and more integrated. So... It's 300 pages. It's a, it's, it's a very in-depth study into uh, wow. aspects and how to resolve them. And that's my personal uh, testimony with it. So it's not so much blackboard theory, which it used to be as a Mooney, right. you know, mm -hmm. but, but, it, but it's my personal experience of literally integrating emotions and becoming so much more whole, balanced, and feeling comfortable with me, whereas at one time I was absolutely in trepidation being with me uh -huh. which is also why people go outside themselves looking for some you know someone to support them or whatever you know relationships or anything moon in my case uh -huh. it's wild it's it? oh, oh goodness <laughs> land shark Occasionally, we we, we, we get the, yes, the random interruption. Um, so you've told us about about um, your memoir, so a grand and glorious adventure, and then the True Love Handbook. What's your third book? Okay, actually, the, the second book I published in oh. 2010 
because uh-huh. the, the True Love Handbook is the most recent one. Oh, okay. The second book actually is called Apostle Paul, The Untold Story. Oh, interesting. Yeah, this was a personal n- desire and need of mine uh, that I had to put that out in it. And it, it was something that, that kind of began when I went through seminary mm-hmm. because we, we were studying religion in depth. And I started realizing that Christianity is basically what, in fact, the, the professors there, who, by the way, were non-Moonies, uh, we had a Methodist, a Catholic, and actually we had a Sikh there. We had different. And they, the perceptions that they had of Christianity was that it's, they call it Pauline Christianity. This is a very common phrase in, theolo- in the world of theologians. Mm-hmm. Because Christianity basically follows the words of Paul. If you study Jesus, they don't really follow him so well. And the reason they don't is because it's kind of hard to live by these words that he's saying, you know, uh, take the log out of your own eye before, you know, accusing. Well, people, you know, most people consider themselves just basic sinners. And so they'd rather just accept that they have a savior and be be good with that. You know, I'm good. I got my savior. And that, that whole concept of salvation, and particularly the saved by the blood, that is totally Paul. There's nothing in Jesus's words that have anything to do with that. So I, I had to write a book about it because I realized that, uh, you know, Western civilization is basically uh, following words that were totally based on an illusion. Mm-hmm. Wow, That's you guys had an interesting. interesting conversation while I stepped away. <laughs> you stepped away. <laughs> so, so to catch you up, we're talking about his 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 third book, which is actually the second book, um, oh, okay. which is um, what was it again? Apostle Paul: uh, The End Story. Yes. Awesome. And and I and I had some mo- some of my own personal revelations that came through me as well. My journaling got pretty intense during that time. Sometimes mm-hmm. I'd wake up wake up in the middle of the night and I absolutely knew I needed to get up and write. I'd get up, get my pen, and I'm telling you that that stuff could not come out fast enough. Okay. It just really went beyond the mind. And most of that time, this was like oh eight oh nine. Most of that stuff was all about the Apostle Paul. Okay. So so I knew that there was something about me and the need to put out Paul and so finally I just put it out and that that came out in March of 10. Now, how are you publishing? Are you a self-publisher or are you published through a publishing house? How I am publishing? self-published, yes. Okay. The and last two books I went through uh, Lightning Source. Okay. Uh the first one was a company called Page Free Publisher. However, however they went out of business um so basically, uh, I have several copies of it still, so people can still get it from me. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. but I figure, you know, if if at some point those copies sell, then I might I might well just decide to republish it through Lightning Source. Okay, that makes sense. And are they available in ebook also, or only in hardcover? Uh, no, okay. actually, I have the, I have my all three are available in ebook. Yes. Okay. Cool. All of them are. It's all basically on my MasteringTrueLove.com website. You can you can purchase them all the ebooks there. Um, you can purchase the memoir from me, the Apostle Paul from me. Actually, I at the moment I'm out of my newest book, which is a good thing. It's a good sign. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's still available on Amazon in the U.S. and U.K. and it's also uh, available in Australia on the Nile.com, which is a big. Uh, online bookstore over there. Yeah, I've heard of that one. And also now through Amazon, um, if you're not familiar with Amazon CreateSpace, they just opened up to be, your books are available now in Europe. 
and uh, many other countries uh, the same way the Kindle uh, ebooks are now available uh, all around the world. We we sell every month to Spain and Germany and Denmark and you know anywhere that the uh, Amazon has a, a store or a website. So that's really cool. Which does remind me that that the the, the, the last two books, um, the Apostle Paul and the True Love Handbook, they are also available on on Kindle too. Awesome. Excellent. Um, now, you've taken us down a really long road, and that's really cool. And um, our, our listeners, I'm sure, got a lot of fascinating tips out of it before you even, you know, without us even ask, asking questions about it. But <laughs> what, would be, um, what would be your advice to a writer that may have a difficult past or that has something in their past like you have and they're considering writing but they're not sure if they should well um, again I, I, I'm a firm believer that the future is the past healed so if they've had a past and particularly a, a one that was challenging and, and they're getting a f- sense that writing might help my, uh, my suggestion is it absolutely will help uh, and if you don't know where to start, you basically just get a pen and you start. And while I may have had the advantage of having journals, it doesn't really matter because if someone's willing to just start, or another option is to get a little digital handheld recorder mm-hmm, and, and, mm-hmm. and you just start recording memories whenever they pop up, let somebody else transcribe that or you do it later. But you know, not to worry about what's going to come with it. Just get the information out. Mm-hmm. So like that would that. be my suggestion as far as, yes, it can help and uh, get started by simply when a memory comes, whatever your experience is, or, you know, start talking about it. Either speak about it or write about it and don't be bashful. Mm-hmm. Was, was your intention when you started this process as something more cathartic or was it something that you actually intended to publish from the get-go? I definitely intended to publish from the get-go. I just was surprised that it took me six years. Oh, yeah, it does take a while sometimes. <laughs> well, well, it only took me a couple of years to get through the journals because I was pretty intensely focused on it. Mm-hmm. But you, you have to understand, by the time I got through those journals and was writing, you know, I had to take from the journal and type into the computer mm-hmm. what it said in the journal. And I was yeah. pretty literal word for word. I wanted to keep it. In fact, in my book, my memoir, I, I keep the quotes in little, you know, quote, quote boxes. Uh, literally out of my journal, so I didn't edit those, and okay. and I had 800 pages of those in 2003. Wow! And that's what oh. took me. It took me actually up to about 06 to get those distilled down into 252, and then I sent it off to a professional copy editor, mm-hmm. and it, and it just took a while. And event it, it was finally you know it came out in 07. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's a, that's a really long process. So you must you must have been a very prolific journaler. <laughs> yes, and and uh, like I said, the amazing thing was is, was to be able to compare what I was going through in these in these different decades, and mm-hmm. that that became the fascinating approach in the book about you know wow look I had this and then I did this and then this, but so many of the different experiences I had there was a lot of amazing experiences I had as a Mooney is is what what we were called, uh, you know. There's right. a lot of that in there too, uh, you know what it was like uh, meeting people. Sometimes uh, 
we'd get leaders come visit us, and I'd have to take care of them, and uh, mm -hmm. just this is a lot of different uh, stuff. It, it's you know, 252 pages. It's, it's quite a bit of uh, mm -hmm. in information in there in my memoir. I like it. Karen, do you want to start our wrap up? We have Karen yeah. has come up with some really fun ways to um, slide from our interview into our closing, and it, it's it's actually kind of fun. <laughs> so these are, these are this is kind of a little bit off the wall, um, so bear with us here. But um, if you could live anywhere on the planet, where would you go? In this now moment, yes, uh, Florida. Yeah, that's where I live actually. Oh well, then that's perfect. You're already there. <laughs> yeah, I've been there since January of '07, and mm -hmm. uh, and I lived all over the country as a Mooney, ten different states. Traveled oh. to different countries, uh, and while there are a lot of beautiful places, and I, of course, still want to explore some places, so mm -hmm. who knows, I may move elsewhere later, but the thing I love about Florida is you've got water there, and uh, it's, uh, I just love the, you know, the energy there, so... That's fantastic. It's always, it, you know, home is home is where the heart is. But at the same point in time, it, you know, there are so many people that 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 I know that, you know, home is is just home. Right. And so the fact that you know that you would choose Florida over everywhere, and that happens to be where you are, that's actually kind of interesting. Because you know, occasionally you hear all the oh, I'd go live in Paris or whatever. But that's that's awesome that you've you know you've found your place and you like it. Um, well, you did, you, you, that's actually really cool. <laughs> you, 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 you didn't ask me, uh, you know, if I had two places to live because oh, well, do you have two my, places? My, then? My, my ideal would be to have homes in two places, and, and the other one would be somewhere in the mountains. Ah, nice. Potentially, yeah. maybe northern New Mexico or something like that. Yeah, oh. that's exactly where I want to go. I want to live in the Southwest again. I lived there for a short time, and I love New York City where I'm living now, but. I totally my uh, my energy is in. Uh, I have two places where I feel a lot of energy, and one is Manhattan, and the other is in the Southwest. You know, I feel totally at peace with myself in the Southwest. I completely yeah. understand. I lived there for five, six years after uh, getting out of the Moonies as well. Mm -hmm. Oh, and and see, I, I haven't made it to there yet. So I've I've done I've done the Pacific Northwest and I've done you know the Midwest and I've done you know the New York area and I've been to Florida a couple of times but I have yet to actually hit the South and the Southwest. So I need to take her to Sedona. <laughs> there you go. Well, I've always wanted to go to Antelope Canyon. Yes, you know, we'll go to Sedona. I, and I see Antelope the pictures Canyon. and they're gorgeous and I just I just want to see it for myself because I know that the pictures probably don't do it justice. No, so. it's an absolutely beautiful place that I went earlier this year, Antelope Canyon. It was fabulous. Fantastic. And it's a half a mile walk that produced, uh, I took over a thousand photos in that half mile. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Where is that? I'm not, I'm, I'm, it's I'm, in I'm, northern Arizona just before, just like at the edge of the Grand Canyon. Oh, okay. Um it's in a t I think the town's name is Page and the only way you can get into Antelope Canyon is with a Native American guide. You can't okay. go cannot go by yourself. Not allowed. I have been to Page. Uh I remember uh but I don't recall the Antelope Canyon. Yet. Okay. Karen next. Um let's see what should I ask you next? I think I'll ask you if you were stranded on a desert island, what book would you take with you? Oh goodness! 
uh, assuming that I need a book, right? Well, assuming that you need a book, yes. <laughs> um, well, um, th- this may seem partial, uh, but I honestly would take my own true love handbook. Yeah. And that's because another byproduct of integrating emotional aspects and mm-hmm. by having compassion for them is that you you literally begin falling in love with yourself. And and what's been happening is I've, I've been finding a love for myself that I never knew it could ever exist. Uh, and so my most recent creations, uh, which this being one, that book, True Love Handbook, actually just on a side, I just two days ago uh, made available a, a CD that I, I'm a musician, uh, play guitar, and um, at least on a digital download basis. Mm-hmm. I have over 70 minutes of instrumental recordings that's available uh, through something called CD Baby. And uh, mm-hmm. I just absolutely love listening to my own music. That's great. And uh, I think that you could use your own True Love Handbook to just go back and remind yourself on days where you're, you know, if you're on a deserted island, you might feel like you need to have days to, you know, feel better about yourself. Yes. Yeah. I can get Definitely. get me get my little coconut or and talk to it, you know, like. <laughs> <laughs> I always wanted to be like the professor and make a radio out of them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Fantastic. All right, so tell us again where we can find your books. All right, my website is www.masteringtruelove.com and there you can find basically all you can get all my books from there except at the moment the True Love Handbook. I am hoping to get more soon, but those are available on Amazon.com in the UK and the US, as well as thenile.com in Australia. Uh, and the Apostle Paul book is also available through Amazon and the Nile. Uh, the Saboteur is only, I mean, sorry, the Grand and Glorious Adventure of the Saboteur Years is only available for me personally at this point. But hey, you get, a, you get it autographed, so. That's oh, fantastic. Cool. Bonus. That, that, is, that is pretty cool. Um, <laughs> Okay, so for those of you that are listening via podcatchers or um, on uh, a site other than our own site, please come visit uh, bookgoodies.com, B-O-O-K-G-O-O-D-I-E-S.com, and let us know what you think. Uh, you can search for Paul and you can find the, uh, the show notes for this podcast and you can leave us comments or you can go up to the Contact Us form at the top of the page and let us know if you'd rather send us a private note, uh, if you have questions for Paul or if you have questions for Karen and I, or if you have a suggestion for a topic. And then if you can, uh, if you want to be a guest, there's a form there that you can fill out to be a guest, and there's also a form to tell us about your book. And after you fill it out, we will uh, put, it, put the book information up on our website. And I want to thank everybody for joining us. I want to thank Paul and Karen both for being here. And uh, everybody get out there, get writing, and have a great day. It's a great honor to be on your show. Thank you so much, Deborah and Karen. Thank you. Thank you for coming. All right, got to put you guys on hold for a second.